It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Canada, the NBA title is yours. We're going to the free time of the Hail Mary 3 by Mo Get that garbage out of here. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 843 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, December the 10th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. And you can find the show at Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast as well. Please make sure you're finding the show on all of your favorite podcast providers. It is very much appreciated when you take the time to leave a rating and a review. Tell a friend to subscribe if you are already subscribed. Uh, we've had a nice little bump in listeners lately, and I appreciate every single person, old and new, who has uh, latched onto the show as the season draws near. Now just, uh, boy, 13 days until the Raptors open the season against the New Orleans Pelicans in two days from the start of the preseason, apparently, on Saturday. So good times, I guess, will be had. They'll play the Charlotte Hornets. That'll be great. Uh, and we'll obviously break that, that down on Monday. But for today, it is just me here talking about the rotation, baby. There was a lot of talk yesterday from Nick Nurse about the eighth man in the Raptors rotation. For some reason, the eighth man was this sort of sticking point for what the rotation was going to look like. And there were a lot of ideas thrown around as to who would occupy that eighth spot in the rotation. I'm kind of of the mind that there's already an eight-man hierarchy that should be the top eight in the rotation, and then the competition should really be for the ninth and tenth spots, but we'll get into that. We'll sort of go through the candidates for who could get into that eighth, eighth and ninth sort of conversation in Nick Nurse's rotation this year, and there's a lot of candidates. That's the thing. It's a deep roster with a lot of dudes, which should bode well for a season where there'll be plenty of roster churn and people being out of the lineup I'm sure with rest and also uh, hopefully not but most likely COVID cases and so we will uh, dive into all the options for what could be like a 15-16 man rotation I know 15 men are only available for each game but you could talk yourself into a lot of these guys potentially getting some run if the mood strikes Nick Nurse so we will get into that uh, in the second and third segments of the show but first we should probably just take a second to congratulate the Raptors on just an amazing bit of 
pre-off-season, not really tampering, tampering last night on the episode of Open Gym that dropped it a two-parter. I believe it's the first two parts of a four-part series from Open Gym covering time in the bubble for the Toronto Raptors. I hit the realization last night that I've never actually watched a full episode of Open Gym, and that continued. I did not watch the entire episodes from last night. They are taped on my PVR. I will watch them at some point. And of course, the big viral takeaway from part two of the documentary was the footage dropped that has never been before seen of the Raptors' war room on the night of the 2013 NBA draft, the night that Masai Ujiri famously was desperate to trade up to draft Giannis Antetokounmpo in. The footage depicts Masai making calls for picks number 12, number 13, as the likes of Shabazz Muhammad are going off the board. Very much not Giannis-level players. And it just, it was really, really great seeing that sort of backstory, seeing the lust that the front office clearly had for Giannis at the time to try to get him on the team before the Bucks took him at 15. And I don't know why this was chosen as the sort of entry point for Bobby Webster to introduce Bobby Webster to the masses and sort of get to his origin story with the team, but it's really good, and particularly, it was really awesome that it dropped on the exact same day that Giannis himself was talking about how he was not going to talk about his contract situation in Milwaukee after addressing the media, and that he actually got kind of annoyed by all of the pens that his teammates Chris Middleton and Pat Connaughton were giving him, which is just so perfect, obviously. There's still a lot of ground to cover if the Raptors are going to lure Giannis to Toronto and actually make their decade and a half or half decade long vision come true. But if it does happen, if Giannis does not sign the Supermax this offseason, he's only got 11 days left to do it. If he ends up leaving next offseason, which again is no certainty by any means, the Bucks could win the freaking title and keep him around forever and it would be yummy, yummy, wonderful and great and lovely. But if the Raptors do land their white whale and they get Giannis Antetokounmpo to come to Toronto next summer. This clip will serve as maybe the best comic book origin story of all time, perhaps? Like, it's really, really good stuff, and I'm glad it dropped. Just even if it's just like a weird footnote in history and Giannis stays in Milwaukee, just seeing that sort of origin of watching Masai get very hot and bothered about not being able to draft Giannis back in 2013, seeing the sort of uh, beginnings of his Again, eight-year quest to eventually get him to Toronto, during which, in the waiting period, he just happened to win a title by accident. So, uh, very good stuff. I just thought it was worth noting. And uh, I would imagine the rest of that Open Gym documentary is going to be incredible. So, uh, I believe it's on tonight and tomorrow. So, go watch it. It'd be great. Shouts to our friends at TSN doing tampering on behalf of the team so the team doesn't have to and get fined by it. Your team broadcaster and part owner doing it? Totally fine, I think. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe there'll be sanctions. Who the hell cares? It was fun as hell. Anyway, going to move on to talk about the rotation as I teased off the top. Just a reminder, though, that you can check out Locked on NBA every single day starting next week on Monday. We are going to have a six-part preview of the NBA season featuring all the local hosts from the Locked on Network. Please make sure you're tuning in, subscribing to Locked on NBA to get ready for that. This is Jake from Locked on. Locked on has teamed up with State Farm to spotlight some of the greatest supporting players in NBA history. After beating the Heat led by LeBron James and Dwayne Wade in 2011, Dirk Nowitzki won an NBA title and proved himself to be one of the greatest basketball players of all time. But there was one player in the starting lineup for the last three games of the finals that helped support Dirk all the way to a championship, J.J. Barea. Led by J.J. and Jason Terry, the Mavs' second unit proved to be the strength throughout the playoffs, where they led the NBA in bench scoring. But for games 4, 5, and 6 in the NBA Finals, Mavs coach Rick Carlisle inserted Berea into the starting five to help the Mavs space the floor and put more playmaking around Dirk. 
J.J. Barea had a knack for running the pick-and-roll with Dirk that helped the Mavs score more efficiently on their run to a title. Dirk Nowitzki couldn't score the way he did if he didn't have much-needed support from someone like J.J. Barea. Sometimes, you and I need that kind of support, too. Think of State Farm like a pivotal team player. When you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember the jingle and just say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, so let's dive into the Raptors rotation. Before we get to that, just a reminder, tomorrow's podcast, I believe, finally, the schedule dance I've been doing with Sandy from Dishes and Dimes will be completed. We will have Sandy on the podcast. I think we're going to take a look at what would constitute a successful season for this year's Toronto Raptors, so keep an eye out for that on Friday. Uh, but let's dive into the conversation about the eighth man. Nick Nurse, again yesterday, talked about the rotation and how he'd like to unlike last year, establish a set defined eight-man rotation where the eighth spot is kind of set in stone. He knows who he's going to every night. This is not surprising necessarily. Nick Nurse, if you remember, before the injuries kind of forced him to be a little bit more varied in terms of his approach to his rotation last year, before the injuries took took place, he was pretty much locked into a seven-man rotation. He likes to have his guys. He likes to know he, who he can trust. He'll get creative with how he deploys those guys over the course of a game in the way that maybe Dwayne Casey didn't quite do when he had you know nine or ten guys he would run with in the same pattern every single game. Nurse won't necessarily do that, but I do think he values the sort of night-to-night understanding of, okay, these are the guys who are going to play. I know exactly how to pair them up. I know how to stagger my stars. It's all going to be wonderful. I'm not guessing you're playing any guessing games or anything like that. And so I'm not surprised that he wants a bit more of a set rotation. I just feel like it might be a bit difficult for him if he is trying to sort of slot in that quote-unquote eighth spot that he talked about with a guy who's going to be there every night because there's a lot of reasonable candidates for that job who all do very different things and might be called upon to do those things depending on the matchup on a given night. I mean, we saw last year, how often was it Matt Thomas just coming in for an emergency three-point shooting barrage because the Raptors' offense was uh, sticky? How often was it Chris Boucher coming in to just play like a maniac or Rondé Hollis-Jefferson coming in for his defense? It was kind of a moving target as to what that eighth spot really needed to provide the Raptors. It'll probably be the same this year. But I do want to say... If he wants to go with an eight-man rotation, it feels to me like there's a pretty reasonable eight-man rotation to just kind of roll with, and I don't know why there's so much consternation about this, and I think it all has to do with maybe a bit of underestimation of Alex Len and just sort of an expectance that he's going to be more of a sort of, you know, DNPCD slash play 10 minutes type of guy. I don't think that's the case. I think Alex Len figures to be the eighth guy to me, and to me, it's a lot more of a question about who's going to be the ninth and tenth guys in those emergency spots when a bit of a skill set infusion is needed. But to me, if you're looking at the rotation, like I've kind of divided it up on my page here into four different tiers. I have, you know, locks for steady minutes, fringe rotation guys, maybe question mark and DNPCD slash G League dudes. And to me, eight guys fall into what should be the locks for minutes category. Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, Aaron Baines. That'll be the starting five. Nick Nurse confirmed today that Aaron Baines will be the starting center, which that's going to be a damn good starting five. I think it's going to put up some very good uh, on-off numbers, and I look forward to watching it, even though it doesn't have Marcus Gasol, which makes me sad. Norm Powell is going to be the sixth man. Obviously, he will uh, run, I think, probably a lot in three-guard lineups with Fred and Kyle. When they go small, he'll come in when one of those guys is going to the bench. It'll be, I, I think those three will take up the lion's share of the guard minutes. We'll get to the guard conversation in a sec, but um, I think, obviously, Powell is going to play a big role. Chris Boucher, I think giving him six and a half million bucks... 
that signals that he's probably going to have a spot in this rotation. I am on the record saying I'm less certain about his sort of utility, especially in the postseason. But in the regular season, he's fun. He does a lot of things in short amount, short amounts of time. He will bomb threes. He'll finish plays for you. He'll run the floor. He'll block shots. I feel like that infusion of kind of manic energy will be quite welcome to the Raptors on a night-to-night basis. And also, I think he's going to play a lot as the backup to Pascal Siakam because there's just not a ton of depth behind Pascal. It's a bit of a stratified roster where it's lots of guards, lots of bigs, not much in between. And Boucher can kind of be one of those in-between guys. He's not going to play the three at all, but I could see some lineups where he comes in and plays next to Siakam, who's the nominal three with another big in between them. I could see him obviously just playing in Siakam's spot and sort of filling in as the backup four, obviously doing a different role. He's not Pascal, but I think just the way the roster is constructed, it just makes more sense to me. And just with the way Chris Boucher's skills kind of line up, he does, as we've talked about, kind of profile more as a power forward than a traditional center. So I think that's where Boucher will get the lion's share of his minutes, especially if OG Ananobi is going to sort of oscillate between the three and the five more often than the three and the four. There will be those minutes there available for Boucher to soak up, whether it's 15 minutes a game while Pascal sits. Maybe he gets some center in there, but I don't think it's going to be a ton because I think Alex Len is kind of clearly the eighth guy to me. I know he's not the sexiest player in the world. I know he's not this sort of wonderful signing. I know he's just a minimum signing or a part of the MLE, and it's not terribly intriguing, but I think Alex Len, as a backup to Aaron Baines, who we've talked about, has not really ever played more than 22 minutes a game without getting hurt, and even when he did that, he would get hurt. I think Alex Len is going to have to soak up some minutes at center, and I think him and Baines will look a lot more like a platoon then it will be Baines taking up 30 minutes a game. I think it will be pretty close to like a Gasol-Abaka-type split. Obviously very different players, less good players, but I think Len, with his scoring around the basket, just the height that he offers, the sort of finishing on the roll he'll offer, and his rim protection, I think will kind of see a lot of minutes. I, I don't see him being sort of this bit part of the rotation who plays some nights and sits other nights. And so to me, that's a pretty rock-solid eight to me, and the question really lies into who is going to be the 9 and the 10 more so than it is about the 8. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Alex Len will be more of a bit part. Maybe they will play Boucher at center more often. It's just the way the talent is distributed across the roster, it feels like they're going to need Boucher to slide up to the 4 quite a bit more. And Len is just a, a reliable sort of steady dude, same as Baines, really. And I could see Nick Nurse really valuing steady dude play from the center spot, which, again, kind of a mercenary position. Whoever the center is playing with Kyle Lowry and this defensive perimeter defense they, they offer on the Raptors, they're probably going to look pretty decent and you know look a lot better than maybe their sort of career trajectories have said that they are. I think Len is probably going to be a big benefactor of that, and I think we'll see him play quite a bit in this rotation. So to me, it's not even really a question of who's the eighth man. To me, it's Len from the start. You could even say Boucher is more of the eighth man, where maybe he loses his role to one of the guys we're going to talk about in the final segment more often than Len will to the guys, because again, no one really overlaps with Len from the rest of the roster. It's a lot of guards and wings that we're talking about. And if Boucher is a four more often, is sort of soaking up those minutes on the two through three spectrum of the uh, of the minutes sort of slider calendar, whatever the hell you use on 2K to set up the minutes, then I think he's more likely to lose his spot to a guy behind him who might offer something a little bit different. 
on that note, we'll get to the ninth and 10th spots in just a second. But first, just a reminder to go and listen to Locked On Leafs. The NHL is starting up very soon. Mike DiStefano doing a great job over there on Locked On Leafs covering the return of the NHL. That is very soon coming. January 13th, it sounds like. Training camps will be starting up, and Mike does a wonderful job over there. So go listen to Locked On Leafs. No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. Did you say no to a big wedding and elope at the county courthouse? That's a move. Did you go back to school to get your degree? That's a move. Did you relocate for a fresh start? Well, that's literally a move. Maybe you moved into a houseboat instead of a house house or switched gears from rideshare driving to video game streaming. Or you rode the stock market to the moon and back. TurboTax experts make all your moves count, getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. File with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right. So to wrap up the show here, we're going to dive into that ninth and 10th spot in the rotation. I think obviously just based on the players available, it's going to be a guard. The Raptors only have three guys in the rotation that I kind of laid out, one through eight, who are guards. I think you're going to be okay with that, barring injury, because Fred and Kyle have the ball so much, they're going to stagger with one another quite a bit. And Norm Powell, I think, will come in and soak up between 25 and 30 minutes a game, and will do that just fine, and will probably be quite happy in that role. But you do need some other ball handling. You do need some more guards in there is to, to soak up those minutes. And again, if there's injury, those guys will obviously be thrust, uh, you know, the, the bottom of the roster guys will be thrust a lot higher up the depth chart. But assuming health, which is going to be difficult to do in the COVID season, but hey, bear with me here. I think there's five guys vying for the nine and ten spots in the rotation. There's Patrick McCaw, DeAndre Bembry, Matt Thomas, Malachi Flynn, and then it's unfortunate to have to talk about him because we don't really know what his future with the team is going to be. And he's got court, court date on Friday and it's all uncertain. And I don't like to sort of view the roster assuming that this guy is going to play. I would hope that the Raptors will restrict his role until there's more clarity in his situation. But Terrence Davis of that group is probably the most talented. It's hard to deny that based on his play last season. And so if the Raptors are not going to care about his sort of certain situation and what his future with the team is going to be immediately at least and they're waiting for the process to play out I wonder if Terrence Davis gets some minutes early on and I think that will suck and I will say it right now Terrence Davis when he plays in games this year I will be donating money to a women's shelter in Toronto for every game he plays it's kind of the only way to justify it a little bit I think if he's going to be playing and also still be able to enjoy the team itself it sucks but um, it's going to be kind of what I do. but So you can't not talk about Terrence Davis in this rotation conversation because he's going to be part of it, unfortunately, I think, at least early on until we see more clarification on what his situation looks like. Which, again, we might get on Friday. So maybe we're talking about this differently on Monday. But either way, that five-guy crew, McCaw, Benbury, Thomas, Davis, Flynn, to me is the most likely collection of guys to be drawn from for those eighth, ninth and 10th spots. Maybe the 8th spot, like I said, if Leonard Boucher does not have the solidif- solidified role that I kind of assume that they will from the jump. It's probably going to be McCaw <laughs> getting one of those spots because Nick Nurse loves Patrick McCaw. I still don't think he's 100% healthy. He had knee surgery, obviously, I think in September um, you know, or August when he was had to, had to leave the bubble. And so we'll see if he's ready to go for day one. But 
Nick Nurse loves Patrick McCaw. He's already talked about Patrick McCaw so far in the preseason. He's his dude. I would imagine we're going to see quite a bit of Patrick McCaw in that ninth or 10th role. Maybe the sixth man role. Who the hell knows? Nick Nurse knows no bounds when it comes to uh, Patrick McCaw and his utility for him. The guy I would like to see from the start of the season get that shot is DeAndre Bembry. I think Benbury, yes, his shooting is very, very bad. It's just, it's not there at all. But neither is Patrick McCaws, really. I know he shot like 36% last year on like six attempts, but I think Benbury offers more. As I've described on Twitter, I think DeAndre Benbury is if Patrick McCaw could do things like dribble and pass and actually make a tangible impact on defense. I think he's a better defender than McCaw. He's clearly a better ball handler and decision maker. And I just would rather see him in that spot than McCaw if it's going to be a choice between the two 6'5"-ish guards. Benbury, to me, because of his defensive capabilities, can slide, I think, probably between the 2-3 and sometimes the 4 if they want to go really small. And as I said on the line, on the episode we were talking about, the lineups we're most excited to look at, I'm really intrigued by what a Benbury lineup sort of flanked by the big four starters in Kyle Fred. OG Ananobi and Pascal Siakam could look like with Benbury maybe taking on a bit of a ball handling role. It's something he's comfortable with. It's something he did in college as the number one guy for St. Joe's, St. John's, one of those St. schools. Uh, And I would like to see that. I'd like to see him get some run. I think his defense will be very much to Nick Nurse's liking. He has an insanely high steal rate and block rate for a guard, a guy of his size. He's a great rebounder as well. He just kind of checks a lot of boxes minus the shooting that would seem to make him a favorite of Nick Nurse early on. So he's my pick. He's who I'd like to see from the start. Matt Thomas, you know, uh, Nick Nurse has talked about the defense with him in the preseason a little bit here in his media availabilities. And, you know, I I think it's fair to assume that despite some pretty good showings as sort of a top guy in his own, Matt Thomas's defense is always going to be a limiting factor for him. One-on-one defense is just not going to work the same. Without a genius defender behind him like Marcus Saul, for example, it might be a little bit more difficult. You know, he might get caught up when they're running a drop coverage and things like that. He might just get smashed by screens, and it just might not really work. So I'm expecting Thomas's role to be a bit more pronounced than last year's was. You know, I don't think it'll be he comes in once a week when the Raptors need some juice, but... I do think it'll be something on the lines of he is kind of an emergency breaking break glass in case of emergency guy where the offense is sticky and maybe he plays between five and ten minutes a night for you know in some weird bench lineups but I don't think he's going to be a nightly staple in the rotation just because of those defensive deficiencies and the fact that most of the rest of the roster can still shoot you know Boucher TBD I guess Len TBD I suppose but the rest of the roster will be able to fire it up and I don't know if Thomas's three-point shooting is always the most valuable thing to have on the floor as freaking fun as it is when he's out there Malachi Flynn to me is the one I want the most by the end of the season to occupy one of these two roles or even a higher role in the rotation look I know he's a rookie and rookies aren't usually good rookie point guards in particular aren't usually good right away but it's a weird season. There's not really going to be a G League or a traditional G League to help a guy sort of groom himself along the way to becoming a rotation player by season's end. It's going to be like a 12-game bubble in Atlanta, and I, I just don't know how much the Raptors can trust on their development pipeline really working at its best this year because of that fact. And so I kind of just want to see Malachi Flynn learn on the go. And it's not as though he's some rookie. It's not like he's a 19-year-old who's just throwing into a game helplessly. This is a guy who is well-regarded for his composure on the floor, his ability to run a pick-and-roll, to run an offense, to get good shots. 
and to be a passable, hard-trying, steel-hawking defender. To me, he feels like the guy I want to see the most because get him those reps. Get get him those reps early on in the year. Have him learn trial by fire. This is a transitional season overall more than anything else, right? I still think they're going to be quite good. I predicted them to be the number two team in the East yesterday because they're going to win a lot of games because Kyle Lowry does that. But that doesn't mean you can forego development for the future as well. And Flynn is a guy they like and is a guy I like as someone who could probably step in not as a lead ball handler with no help around him, but if you put him next to a Fred or a Kyle and give him that sort of wizened veteran to play on the offense with, I, I kind of think Flynn might be the guy here. He, Yes, his defense might be a limiting factor. We don't know how it's going to translate. We talked about on the podcast with Mark Ziegler back, uh, we were talking about Flynn overall and sort of getting to know him. You know, his winning of the Defensive Player of the Year in the Mountain West Conference wasn't necessarily proof that he's some incredible defender he tries hard which is what you always want and he's very good at, at, at jumping passing lanes and, and finding steals but will his body sort of hold up against more physical opponents we'll see but even if it's a, a little bit of a slow go with him on defense he just seems to me like the kind of guy who can uh, be an adult <laughs> on the floor and a lot of these other guys macaw Bembry. Uh, Thomas Davis, like, you know, these guys are all off of their own certain value, minus McCaw, but like, to me, just steadiness from Flynn would be a really nice thing to have, especially when Boucher is one of your guys off the bench. And also because when you're looking at, again, the sort of guys who are set in stone to get minutes night to night on this team, there's not a lot of them that are guards. And Flynn, of all these guys, figures to be in your plans for the longest term. And I just... I'm always a fan of just letting a rookie try, especially in a season where you're not trying to win a title. If you had Kawhi on the team this year and it was all about winning a title and you had one shot at it, then maybe you hold off on playing the rookie a ton. But for me, Flynn should be high up in the rotation just because what the hell else are you doing? It's a year where the results don't necessarily matter all that much. The development, as we're going to talk about tomorrow with Sandy, I think the development and seeing guys make positive strides will be just as big a tell that this was a successful season as a big, hefty win total. You know what I mean? So give me Flynn. I think he's fun. I think he's probably ready. I mean, Robel, when he was on this podcast talking about Flynn months ago, said he would be NBA ready right away. Just give it to him and see what happens. And if things go horribly, you have a lot of other options to go to in the rest of those guys we were talking about. And if it goes well, wow, you've got a first-round rookie looking good in his first season. That is a pretty substantial positive sign for what that guy's going to look like in the future, which, again, is what this season is more about than anything else. And I think, to me, that's kind of where the competition ends for those ninth and 10th spots. I think we'll see a lot of those guys cycle in. I think we'll see you know, injuries, obviously, will dictate how often these guys play as well and COVID cases and all that. But I don't really see anyone else deeper in the roster really making a case. I suppose if you squint, Paul Watson might be able to get into some backup wing minutes. He does sort of fit a position of need size-wise. He's six foot seven. He can handle the ball a little bit. Maybe he could spell Norm Powell a little bit. But I it just he to me maybe needs a little bit more in terms of seasoning. I'm not maybe he's just not gonna be maybe he will be great. I don't know. Maybe I'm disparaging Paul Watson a little bit too early here, but 
to me, it, trusting him to come in, it's not like a Flynn thing. I mean, Watson's almost 27. Flynn is your rookie that you just used the first round pick on. The investment is so much higher in Flynn than it is in Watson. I think the risk of playing a guy who maybe isn't cut out for it is more worth it in Flynn's case than it is for Watson. But hey, maybe I'll be wrong and Watson comes in and averages 12 a game off the bench and is incredible. Who knows? It, shit could go crazy this season. I don't know. O'Shea Brissett, don't really see it. I, you know, Very, very emergency situations like last year. Maybe he can offer something good, but for the most part, I think he will be you know, a developmental project once again. And then the rest, you know, Johnson and Johnson, Alizé and Stan, uh, that, that'd be a fun little lineup in garbage time just for Johnson and Johnson purposes, but don't see them getting a ton of run. Watanabe, Ellenson, Harris, you know, those are going to be G League guys. So I think for me, like I said, that top eight, Larry Siakam, Van Vliet, Ananobi, Baines, Powell, Boucher, Len should be the top eight with McCobb, Bembry, Thomas, Davis, Flynn fighting for nine and ten. And maybe Nurse just never plays nine and ten. <laughs> and it's just a straight eight like it was at the start of last year where you had the trusted seven and nobody else was playing. I think this sort of season, the truncated nature of it, the back-to-backs, the travel, and the potential positive COVID cases will necessitate nine through 13 on the roster actually being able to offer you some utility. And I think the Raptors are in a very good spot to get something from those spots because all those guys offer very good qualities uh minus McCaw once again I hate being so mean to Patrick McCaw he seems lovely he's just not very good at basketball anyway that's kind of my breakdown of how I view the rotation for now we'll obviously continue to update our feelings on this as the preseason plays out we'll recap the Saturday preseason game on Monday of course and I'll be back again tomorrow with Sandy to dive deep into the question of what will constitute a successful season for this year's Toronto Raptors. So stick around for that on Friday. Before I wrap it up, I'll get to today's small business of the day, local business of the day that you should be supporting. This one comes from our pal Jay Rosales, uh, host of the That's a Rap podcast over at Raptors HQ. Uh, wanted to uh, shout out a business that his wife's cousin owns called Pixel Paper Hearts. And they even sent over a little ad read for me to read. So I'm going to read the ad read. The holidays are around the corner. Forget about your cookie cutter greeting cards and head over to pixelpaperhearts.com for relatable social stationery and modern goods that are fun to give or hoard for yourself with witty holiday cards like Stay Naughty, Save Santa the Trip, or Tis the Season for Stretchy Pants and Holiday Hangovers. You sure find the perfect... You're sure to find the perfect card or goodie for that special someone when you visit pixelpaperhearts.com. Use the promo code STAYHOME. There's a promo code for free shipping on orders over $35. That's pixelpaperhearts.com. Go support them. Support. Uh, you don't need. Hallmark doesn't need your money this year. Amazon probably has cards too. They don't need your money either. Go to Pixel Paper Hearts. Help out a great local business. Uh, and get some cool stationery as well. So uh, that'll do it. Thank you to Jay for sending that one in. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. It's much appreciated when you take the time. Go listen to my other podcast, uh, Basketball with Katie Heindel. It's always fun. We did an episode on Thursday that'll be out in the afternoon. And uh, keep an eye out, Raptors HQ, doing some blogs and stuff over there as well. So talk to you again tomorrow with Sandy from Dishes and Dimes as we dive into the question of what will constitute a successful Raptors season. Until then, have a good one. We'll talk to you Friday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Now, go listen to Locked On NBA. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? 
I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.